What a cartoon! <laughs> Welcome to Cartoon Time Machine, where, as you might have gotten from my overexcited intro, uh, today we are starting off our series on the eras of Cartoon Network. So, for now, for the immediate future, we are going to uh, each episode talk about a separate era of Cartoon Network and tell you all about some of the best shows that came out of that era, what it represented for that period of time in Cartoon Network history, and what, what we, living in the year 2020, uh, or 2021, whenever this episode comes out, uh, what, we, what we think uh, the impact has been. Uh, we are your animates. I am Scarlett. I'm Katie. And we are super excited to get started on this journey. Uh, as usual, Katie has done basically all of the research. Uh, so, <laughs> why don't you start us off with an overview of the era one that we are discussing today? Indeed. So, we're going to roughly segment this into four time periods. We're going to start with the beginning of Cartoon Network, which is around like 1992, and go to around 2004 when things start going well for Cartoon Network. And indeed, we have finally found roles on this podcast. I'm the stats number person, and Scarlett is the talks to you person. Yeah, I think I think we're 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 basically we're basically like if if this show is iCarly, I think I am Sam, and Katie is a is a combination of Carly and Freddie. Absolutely, I that's where this. we are right now. <laughs> but so Cartoon Network is roughly you roughly see that the eras of Cartoon Network are divided somewhat by time period, like years, but mostly by the logos and bumps for the shows. So the first one we have the well-loved checkerboard, which is definitely the iconic Cartoon Network logo that we all know and love. I, I do love that checkerboard. I, you know, when I, every day I just see that and I'm a child again. I yeah, mean, you I... see the black and white logo and then all the, the rest of the checkerboard with all the iconic characters. Yeah, for Cartoon like, Network, iconic characters, because I believe almost zero of those characters are owned property by Cartoon Network. Right. I mean, the interesting thing about this era, and it will, you know, as we go through our retrospective, we'll see this start to be phased out, is that Cartoon Network started off basically as just a, a holding ground for the classic cartoons, Hanna-Barbera, you know, some Looney Tunes stuff. Uh, it was the original so, Boomerang. Boomerang. Boomerang yeah, came yeah. after. Right, because, well, Boomerang came after because they realized that Cartoon Network was developing its own originals and they sort of needed a, a separate zone for all of these legacy characters. Um, but this era, I think, you know, I think is really interesting because we can sort of see the beginning of the transition through the What a Cartoon program where they, they spun off a lot of pilots uh, into original series. Uh, there's, it's a really interesting time to see how, how we're seeing the inklings of what Cartoon Network will become uh, based on some some of the the early shows, combining with those legacy characters, which would have been better known to adults at the time, uh, you you get the sense that are you okay? Yes. <laughs> you you I was like, you you get the sense that that the Cartoon Network was very much still finding its identity in this time period. Uh, I think the original concept was sort of more for adults, for people who were, you know, nostalgic for these old Hanna Barbera and Warner cartoons. Um, but in this era, in this checkerboard era, we do start to see an own identity forming for Cartoon Network that's only going to get stronger as we progress through. Absolutely. So, with the original stuff, you only have four original series in... Four original. They're very hard to say, because I don't know the Moxie show at all. Don't remember the Moxie show. 
I mean, we were very young children. Um, Mind you, this all premiered before we were, the two of us existed in this world. Right. Uh, I've got to be honest, until I started doing a little bit of my own research for this, uh, for this uh, podcast, I did not even hear of the Moxie show. I don't think it is terribly well loved. Um, I don't think it's very well remembered. Um, but I think it sort of does represent the beginning of that, that gap being bridged between you know, originals that still sort of have that vibe of old school um, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but this was also Space Ghost Coast to Coast Sarah, right? Yes, Space Ghost Coast to Coast came out like six months after Moxie show. So to me, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, I think is interesting for multiple reasons. One, it later became a staple of Adult Swim, which is an interesting way to see, you know, even in the very beginning of Cartoon Network, there was that inextricable link to, uh, to what would become Adult Swim and that more adult content. Um, not that Space Ghost Coast to Coast was adult, but if Katie, have you watched Space Ghost Coast to Coast recently? I actually have not. I don't know anything about it, for the most part. It makes sense that it would become a big thing on Adult Swim. Let me just okay. put it that way. It, to, I don't want to, uh, this is a kid-friendly podcast, but uh, it is made better, I would think, with certain substances. Because oh. it is... <laughs> wild because all, all space goes coast to coast is from what i can tell i don't believe there was any original animation or if there was it was very minimal or it was just like the set of space ghost uh, running his little talk show for the most part it's recycled animation from the old space ghost series which i believe was a 60s 70s series and they just they, they put funny uh dialogue over it it kind of it feels like very early Remember YouTube poop? Remember that from like 2009? <laughs> it feels like an early version of that. It probably cost nothing to make. The creators, I'm sure, were incredibly high and having a <laughs> fantastic time. So again, yeah. it's interesting to see that being something that came on so early in Cartoon Network when it was still finding its identity and wasn't quite sure if this was a channel for adults or for kids anymore. I think that's an important thing about Cartoon Network that, especially as we get further into it, we'll delineate it from Disney and Nickelodeon, is that Cartoon Network really did come in and pretty quickly got its foot in We the darker animation. Oh, absolutely. And less so in this one, as you see, like, the main animation blocks. We were wrong. Boomerang started on Cartoon Network and became its own channel later, as we said, but it was still no, I, always I, a part that, of Cartoon Network. I'm just reading earlier where we said they had the originals. Boomerang was a block in Cartoon Network's animation schedule. Then they had a different kind of block called Super Chunk. Don't know that one. Also, Toonami was a part Toonami. of Cartoon Network's animation, and I forgot about that. But I loved Toonami because I felt so mature watching Toonami. I know it, it changed quite a bit over the years. I know early Toonami is very different from the Toonami of like, I don't know what I'll say, like 2005 to 2007 when I was like- Toonami started getting, the reason I brought up Toonami is it started getting parts uh, into Adult Swim. So we yeah. kind of flipped between Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. So pretty early on, their things started migrating to this darker animation, right. which- it's going to be a thing we bring up a lot with Cartoon Network as we get further into it. And what's interesting about Cartoon Network is I think it absolutely goes through transitional phases when it is, and it, this might have something to do with, you know, new leadership coming in and out uh, who, you know, remembers Cartoon Network from their own childhood or <laughs> from, you know, just 
cartoons in general uh, had different ideas of what they're meant to be. But there were definitely periods when Cartoon Network was more child friendly uh, than when it was less child friendly. I think, you know, spoilers for later on, uh, I think we're sort of in a, a halfway point now with Cartoon Network where about half the series are, wow, this isn't meant for kids. And oh my God, this is meant for like three year olds. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think they've sort of struck a balance now, but certainly in this first era, I think they were, you know, if, if they were sort of, they were in that half nostalgia phase where they were like, okay, we're going to draw in people mostly, people are mostly coming to this channel, people in their you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, people who are coming here mostly for, to watch their old favorite cartoons. But while they're here, let's try to draw them in with new cartoons that are slightly edgier, things like Space Goes Coast to Coast, which it's not edgy in the conventional sense. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's satirical. Uh, mm -hmm. And then things like Dexter's Lab toward the end of this era that were definitely kids shows, but had a lot of that same dynamics from those older Hanna-Barbera cartoons were definitely more wacky and violent and would certainly, certainly draw in, I would say, college age kids, maybe not, you know, full on 30 somethings, but I think, you know, the, the college age kids would definitely be exactly as appreciative as De of Dexter's Lab as that younger audience. Absolutely. Dexter's Lab is definitely the moment, the first show Cartoon Network had where it was like, oh, we can do our own animation and make it work. So that's kind of the pivotal show from this era. And it's great. I mean, I, I've recently rewatched Dexter's Lab. Um, and by recently, I mean, a, a few years ago, I was uh, an intern at Cartoon Network, the, the, the corporate end, not the, not the creative studios. And they were planning on, I don't know if they ever ended up doing it, but there was a plan for like a late 90s, early 2000s bumper series. And my assignment for several weeks was to go through shows like Dexter's Lab and just watch every episode and just note moments that could be a good bumper. Um, <laughs> Dexter's Lab is so full of that, guys. I mean, of all the shows that I was watching through, I think like 90% of what I was pulling that could be used in commercials was all Dexter's Lab. <laughs> it is so dynamic. It is so there's so much happening at once on the screen it's so funny it's it's if you haven't watched it recently rewatch it because it is exactly as funny as you remember it it is you 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 love dexter but you also kind of want to see him fail he's kind of got that you know that homer simpson eric cartman kind of vibe that is again kind of an, an older uh an older skewing uh focus but it is you you kind you kind of look he tries so hard and you kind of like seeing him mess up at every turn and you know by the end of every episode something's gonna go horribly wrong uh, and it's 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 always it's always beautiful to see and Absolutely. I think I speak for everyone in our generation that none of us will ever be able to order an omelet with cheese in a normal way. Mm -hmm. okay, try it try 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 saying omelette du fromage in a normal way. Absolutely <laughs> it's impossible. Can't. It's very hard. It's just fun to say funny. No, I have a, I have a strong attachment to Dexter's Lab. I loved the show as a child. Still love the show now. Named my cat Dexter. Not after the serial killer. I had to reiterate that when I got older. Uh, Dexter. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, it is it is wonderful in 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 just how. How, how enduring a show like Dexter's Lab can be because it is so much drawing from those that, that 
legacy feel of the old Warners and Hanna-Barbera cartoons. So it has that timeless quality while still having that same 90s edge, like I said, with, you know, sort of similar to The Simpsons and South Park. There was definitely the, the inklings that animation could be more. It was sort of transforming in the 90s to, you, know, you even see that in, you know, in action shows like like Batman the animated series and the X-Men series. There was definitely a, a shift happening in the 90s where there was an understanding that, you know, you could you could honor the the old cartoons and that style while still having that more mature and intelligent idea. Like cartoons, cartoons of the '80s were all to sell toys for the most part. They were, you know, some were better than you, others. Captain but... Planet. <laughs> love Captain Planet. I will always it was a Cartoon love Network Planet. acquired series. That's why I brought it up. Um. Well, I want to talk about Captain Planet in a second, then, because I love Captain Planet. But just to finish up on Dexter's Lab, I think it is—it really is a great transitional series that show that is that really bridges the gap between what Cartoon Network was intended to be and what it eventually became. I think you see a lot of Dexter's influence in what mm -hmm. future Cartoon Network shows would be, even to this day. Exactly what I was going to say. You can see Dexter when we get to the next era and the next shows that start popping up. You can definitely see where Dexter's Lab being the first major Cartoon Network original thing is going to start influencing the rest. But most and, of and... Cartoon Network in this era was acquired series. Right. We can't and... forget that. Which Absolutely. was important for that acquired series, Dexter Lab playing homage to those, but also bridging the way for Cartoon Network to go. We're going to make more original series and stop just acquiring series. Right. I mean, I think, and I think most channels of that, of this era were starting with that. I think Nickelodeon had a similar start where they were, I think they were mostly actually playing Canadian shows in the early days at Nickelodeon. Uh, similarly, Disney Channel, when it first started out, it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily, eventually we got the Disney afternoon block, but early on, I think they were just showing old Disney cartoons. I think a lot of them, a lot of these, these channels, before they could build up their base, they were pulling in a lot of other shows. And, Cartoon Network, I think, did a great job of of curating shows that still worked well with the identity it was trying to build for itself. Uh, mm -hmm. Always will love Captain Planet. I fun, <laughs> fun fact: I started, I got into Captain Planet when I my parents took me on a cruise to Canada when I was, I want to say, five years old. And as a small child on a cruise to Canada, <laughs> there was nothing to do, and they were, there was like five channels on the TV in the cabin. But one of them, I, I assume it was Cartoon Network. It was playing nothing but Captain Planet for like hours. I don't, I don't. It might have even been that this boat didn't have like conventional TV channels. They were just like recycling cartoons for like there's like a kids channel and then adults channel. I don't even remember. I just remember <laughs> sitting in my cabin watching Captain Planet for literal hours, and I I got super into it. Like it was. I, as a as a young kid in the early 2000s, environmentalism is something that's like pretty hammered into you from a young age. So seeing like a superhero that was encapsulating all of my like eco anxiety from like hearing <laughs> news stories about how the ice caps were melting, the ozone layer was shrinking, and we're all gonna die. Like that was a comforting thing. Like to just to, <laughs> to even have a fantasy. Like I you know I I had I was five. I could distinguish between real and fake. I knew that Captain Planet wasn't real, but it was so nice to just have something take that anxiety away and turn it into something fun big big captain planet fan right here <laughs> but you also yeah and so then you also see in the acquired series the beginnings of them being the scooby-doo channel ah yes tom and jerry some looney tunes 
all all good stuff. All again, all very important in bringing bringing fans who might not have otherwise watched a new cartoon channel, uh, bringing them in through those old favorites. And I think a lot of these still have influence on the style of comedy and animation that Cartoon Network chooses to keep their audience in. Oh, absolutely. There's another Rocky and Bullwinkle. Really, Rocky and Bull? Why do I think of that as something that was on Nickelodeon? Maybe it might have been on both at some point. Maybe it was it on might both. Have swifted. Shifted. Swifted. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. Because um, I, I see, I have a vague recollection of watching on Nickelodeon, but maybe it was Cartoon Network that I was seeing it on. Um, everyone loves Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, that's that that's such a, a classic. Again, talk about shows that that took the influence of you know that early Warner's and Hanna Barbera vibe and turned it into a slightly edgier more adult meta commentary yeah and so i think we can now begin to talk about the next era which is kind of a concurrent era with the starburst bump so you'll see there's overlap because it started during checkerboard and right mostly ended at the same time so you still have what a cartoon dexter's lab but now we also get johnny bravo cow and chicken I am Weasel. <laughs> okay. You know what I, am Weasel I know I am Weasel, and I know cat. I mean, cow and chicken. I feel like was the same thing as I am Weasel. Like I want to say they aired like they would do that thing where you'd see eleven minutes of you are correct. cow and chicken. I do they, yeah, they aired then, concurrently. Like, yeah. Ah, uh, um, yes. Now I remember. That. I am Weasel. It those shows were never funny. I'm sorry. I don't. I know there are some people who are ride or die for cow and chicken. That is not a funny show. I don't like it. I think the reason Cow and Chicken might be divisive is, one, it it is probably the first strange Cartoon Network show, which Cartoon Network loves strange concepts. But also, it was also a little, it was also in that adult, child, adult, child? Absolutely. Right, I think, I think, and I think part of the reason why I never quite clicked with it is that even the cart, the Cartoon Network shows that were, you know, thing, things like, you know, Johnny Bravo and Dexter's Lab that, you know, were meant for kids, but sort of had that adult edge to it. As a child, I think you could still enjoy the parts that were meant more for adults, just because they were relatively quick, you moved over them. Cow and Chicken was always, it was always trying to be Ren and Stimpy, but never quite pushed itself to that level so that the moments that almost hit that point i don't know if we're enjoyable for either kids or adults i think i mean i I, again some people really seem to like cow and chicken so maybe it's just me but (laughs) i remember you know as soon as i saw that coming up on the block like i would just you know switch to another channel i never wanted anything to do with cow and chicken yeah i was never a big fan of cow and chicken either i feel like now it might land better but i have no nostalgic reasons to watch it Exactly. And I, I remember I Am Weasel was like the worst parts of Cow and Chicken. Like I remember it was it was even less funny it, because the whole plot was that there's a very straight laced weasel and a very goofy baboon. And it was always it was always very formulaic. The weasel was trying to do something good and noble and useful and the baboon would mess it up, which in itself is not a bad premise because it's not like, what you know, that's, you know, it's arguably the plot of Dexter's lab is that he's smart and sophisticated and his goofy sister Dee Dee comes in and messes it up. But it was never, you never liked Weasel enough to like be invested in him succeeding. 
you never liked Baboon enough to want to see him mess things up. Like, neither of those characters were memorable or likable to me, so. They're all trying to be Pinky in the Brain and not achieving it. Exactly. I think I think that's a fair, that's a fair way to, to describe a lot of, you know, frankly, a lot of things in this era is that there's there's definitely a, a vibe of trying to hit that Animaniacs height. I mean, yeah, quite this is the era where Animaniacs was probably the biggest, most successful child cartoon. And I think that's fair. In comparison, holds up better than most of these, which I think says something that people were trying to be the same and not hitting it. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, what's, not to talk about Animaniacs, because they were, as far as I know, never on Cartoon Network. They always they were, were on either Kids WB or later The Hub, which is where I used to watch it. Um, I think, I think what was, you know, the, the Animaniacs was in- impressive because it, you know, when we're talking about bridging that gap between legacy and modern, it did that really well. It had that 90s cynical edge against a backdrop that was pure, you know, 50s, 60s zaniness. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of what Cartoon Network became would have been influenced by seeing that have such a strong impact on children of the '90s and realizing that you know there was a way to bridge that gap. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, as anyone who was watching probably knows, we the two of us are big Animaniacs fans, so we're you know we're always we're always going to to think that Animaniacs did it better than most of these shows. I think pretty much until we hit the modern era, I think there's definitely a vibe of. <laughs> of trying to be Animaniacs and not being quite as good. But here's where we can talk about Dexter's Lab again, which has a similar setup to Pinky and the Brain with Dexter and Dee Dee, but also has the um, side character segments, which I love Dexter's Lab side character segments. Dial M for Monkey was abs- absurd and hum- just hilarious. It was... Uh, some of them are so much better burned into my memory than the actual show. And same with the Justice Friends. I do love the Justice Friends. I love the Justice Friends. I think it is my favorite uh, Marvel Comics (laughs) (laughs) spinoff. And I've watched a lot of stuff for uh, superhero movies because, you know, that's today's day and age. I think the Justice Friends is one of the best. (laughs) I I don't know if I'm quite with you on that, but I think I I, I agree that those were that a lot of the fun of watching Dexter's Lab was getting those side characters in a similar way to to how Animaniacs did a great job of having like a main the main segment and then also the little bumpers that you could you could always look forward to. Although I I want to say that stopped halfway through. Is that is that accurate? I don't, you're, you're um, <laughs> so I know that Justice Friends didn't go through the whole series for sure because Justice Friends got its own show at some point i thought did they spin off into their own show i, didn't I thought justice friends might have spun off to a longer bumper on a different thing at least maybe maybe they did um, m for monkey i think stayed for a decent time there's also the puppet pal segment okay, well, i don't remember that one as well uh, I know, I know. There, there was a thing halfway through Dexter's Lab where I think they changed animation studios, and it, there's you can definitely see a, a stylistic difference between early Dexter's Lab and later Dexter's Lab. Um, I think, I think when you think of Dexter's Lab, you more think about that second era when it's a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think there was only like one season with the so with the new animation. Dial M airs between segments during the first half of the first season. Because they didn't let him go too long. 
Okay, that makes sense. Spoof of DC's comic book, Dial H for Hero. There's a theme going here. Uh, then you have Justice Friends during the second half of the first season and part of the second season. The Puppet Pals, I don't know where the Puppet Pals went. <laughs> not not sure about that. Maybe there's just like one or two segments they ever did. It's a fictional TV show. Yeah, they're all <sighs> fictional TV shows. Well, no, it, like sometimes it shows up in the Atlas Joel episode as a fictional TV show in there. That, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, Val Hallen really lives in my head for some reason, specifically. Val Hallen? That's the parody of Thor on Justice Friends. He's a, he's oh, a combo, the name's yeah. a combo of Valhalla and Van Halen. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. He had hard rock, heavy metal powers and a surfer dude personality. It's a great version of Thor. <laughs> All versions of Thor are a great version of Thor. I love Thor. I'm a, I'm a Thor fan. I don't know. I could forget about Thor 2 in every way. So I forget that Thor 2 Thor is there. Like, Thor. There's no Thor in Thor 2. There we go. I mean, his hair is great. Let's give okay. him credit for that. His hair is, the, his, his hair is at its best in Thor 2. It's All right, we're going to... It's due. Okay, okay. Well, do you maybe, want to move on to the next for... era? Yeah, sure. I was going to say, that stems for the 10 minutes that Patty Jenkins was working on Thor 2. Maybe the only <laughs> contribution she had was... Hey, can we do something about his hair? And can we not bleach his eyebrows anymore? Remember when they were bleaching Thor's eyebrows and Thor's yeah. I think a little bit in Avengers? What the fuck? Chris Hemsworth has a beautiful face. Why are you messing with it? So the powerhouse starts oh, in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably actually the most classic cartoon ever because it's just the blank. Nothing behind it, just the letters. Bum, 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 bum. I love uh, it. Programming. We have a lot more original series programming. This is really, this is the time when Cartoon Network went, all right, start drawing. Artists, you start, start writing. Pencils. So we still see a couple of the shows end in this era, like Dexter's Lab and Johnny Bravo isn't giving me an end date. Johnny Bravo will never end. He will live That's on true. in the hearts of nice boys forever. You see Cow and Chicken end. I am Weasel N. So all those original shows end at some point during this. But boy howdy, do they have so many shows to replace them. List, list. First on the list is the Powerpuff Girls. Which comes, I think, so that premieres while Dexter's Lab is still going. Which Dexter's Lab had a small restart, I think, because it switched to Animation Studios. That's Fun probably what, I, what it was. It yeah. ends in 1999 and then they bring it back in 2001 for a little bit. The Powerpuff Girls is kind of in that same area of a little bit of Dexter's Lab. Because you oh, have the science experiment stuff, but also heroes. So you see that little bridge. Do you have any thoughts on Powerpuff Girls? Uh, again, having, having rewatched Powerpuff Girls uh, in the past few years, it is, it is another one that sort of surprises you with the amount of more edgy adult jokes you can get out of it. And that's, and that's part of the dynamic, is that it's... It's such an adorable, girly-looking show. Like, it almost feels reminiscent of, like, the Care Bears from the 80s and the early 90s. And the amount of violence they do, the amount Him. of... Him's existence. Him. Yes. Queen. Also, kind of terrifying. I, 
I, I, I know I know him literally has pronouns in the name, but I feel like I have to refer to them as a they because I, 100%. I don't know. That, him is definitely not. That is. <laughs> him is, in today's alien age, would probably not be called him. I, right, I haven't watched, I know they rebooted Powerpuff Girls fairly recently. I haven't I know they have, it has not had great. It yeah. hasn't done great. I think the first reboot was bad. I think they rebooted it again and they were like, this is slightly better. That sounds about right. I don't know if they brought him into it. Kind we'll of have to research that. I'll have to research I'll research it. that. You talk more about yeah. Powerpuff Girls. Uh, yeah, pa- Powerpuff Girls was always, you know, it was it was hard. It was, I, I was a much, uh, something of a tomboy when I was a kid. And I didn't, I was almost embarrassed to be watching Powerpuff Girls because the, like, if someone was just walking by the room, they would think, oh, this is such a girly show because the colors and the little girls' high-pitched voices and especially Bubbles, but it just, it draw, it drew me in with the the action, the the animation is so much fun in Powerpuff Girls. It, the people who are animating it are animating it as if these are superheroes. They are not thinking these are adorable doll children. The, the, the show treats itself like a standard superhero show. And as a kid who would later go on to love watching Teen Titans and Justice League and all those other shows that would come to Cartoon Network uh, later on. It's a really great intro to that. It's, it is a really great way to, to segue into a, a, a love of action cartoons in a way that earlier Cartoon Network would not have gotten you into. Dexter's Lab has action elements. It is not an action show. I think it's probably safe to say Powerpuff Girls was the first action show to come to Cartoon Network. Was the first action show that they made themselves? Yes, because they had their own. But now to go back, uh, him is the full title, which I forgot for a second, is His Infernal Majesty. Yes! Oh my God, that's the most. He did return in Powerpuff Girls Z with a different design that's kind of even somehow more terrifying. Uh, And then, hmm, is it gayer though? Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, and then share, in 2016... Hmm? I want to see it. Share, share your screen. I want to see it. Okay, I'll pull up the photo. Hmm? I think our audience might want to see it too because they, like me, may not have seen the reboot. Here is him in the reboot. Oh my god. Ow, wow. Yeah, that is gayer. Gayer and terrifying. They, look a, First... they almost look a little bit like Catra from... Uh, uh, and here's the original. That's the OG. Original, yeah. Powerpuff Girls Z. I mean, I I still love. New one. I mean, the original is just so flamboyant. It's like it's like if Santa Claus, a ballerina, and a crab and Satan all merged together into one. I I have to read the f- intro on the Powerpuff Girls wiki for him. Him is a powerful, flamboyant demon and the series' secondary antagonist. Him is the king <laughs> of darkness. Can a powerful, flamboyant demon be my Tinder bio? <laughs> yes. Him is the king of darkness and by far the greatest enemy of the Powerpuff Girls. Me, the queen of darkness. <laughs> Many think he is the series' interpretation of the devil himself. Throughout the series, he is shown to be the strongest and most deranged of the villains. That's fair. Man, I love him. I mean, the, vi- the villains on Powerpuff Girls were so, so fun and memorable. I mean, of course, we can't, we can't talk about Powerpuff Girls without talking about Mojo Jojo. Oh, Mojo Jojo. It's just, 
can we just shout out to the best name of any, possibly any cartoon character ever? Like, I'm willing to give that prize. That is a great name. Uh, in in 2016, it still appears that him is made to be seen as male. But let's all admit, him is I mean, NB and a queen. Yes, I, I I will accept nothing else. I I do not believe that him. Because him is, is too good for any binary. Let's face it. Like him is him is not fully gay. Him is not fully straight. Him is not male or female. Him is, him is him. living that 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 po- that polysexual, uh, <laughs> uh, pansexual. Every every I just every kind of sexual. I feel 100%. Like, like him is living. I would like to say, as with the SpongeBob, where you like first relate with SpongeBob and then you become Squidward as you grow older, I think we have switched from like connecting to the Powerpuff Girls to connecting to him. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, okay. I, I think what's also fun about the Powerpuff Girls is that I think with with those three main characters, it was so easy for every kid to say, "I I am Blossom. I am Buttercup. I am Bubbles. I'm Bubbles." I I am going to take it, Katie, that you were also a Buttercup kid. Oh, absolutely. I had a green buttercup shirt that I wore so much as a child. I wish I had the photo with me. It was my favorite shirt for so much of my, until it died. I definitely also had one that I think I got like at Claire's that like has buttercup crossing her arms and saying like, I don't care. I really hope we had a similar shirt. Mine didn't have words on it though. We we might've had a similar vibe shirt. I think I think they were there was a, like a, a long period of time where you would know, I, I, no one was really a blossom person, but like you would know who a kid was based on whether they were wearing a buttercup shirt or a bubbles shirt. Like there was definitely a breed of kid who like wore pigtails and was cheery and had like a bubble shirt that like said like cute as a button or something like that, like something sparkly and adorable. And then you had our grumpy asses who were wearing the buttercup. We're shirts. still grumpy. We are out. No, we're absolutely still grumpy. Um, so, also, I, I used to have much darker hair. My hair has lightened over the years, and there was definitely a phase that I think every child goes through where you identify with a character who has your hair color. I don't know if you, I don't know if you had this too, but like it was also the same with, with me. With so I, I like Buttercup because Buttercup was the brunette. When Totally Spies came out, I liked Alex. Alex was the brunette. <laughs> this is how I had a lot of black Barbies as a kid because like Barbies used to come in blonde or black. <laughs> so I didn't identify with the blonde one. I wanted to be the black Barbie. <laughs> So moving on. Moving on. <laughs> the next one that premiered. The episode of Detours is what we're. Is what the next one that premiered is Ed, Ed, and Eddie. My personal favorite. I, I love Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Loved I, Ed, Ed, and Eddie so much. My parents hated it. It oh, is. We had, parents hated Ed, Ed, yeah. and Eddie. That was what was so great about watching Ed, Ed, and Eddie is that you knew if your parents walked in the room. They'd be so annoyed that you were watching it, and it was great. It was. It felt like an act of rebellion just to be watching something as ridiculous as Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Exactly. The thing is, like, and we'll see this with every so often. We we attempted to rewatch Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and it is in one of those shows where it is definitely made for kids, not adults on Cartoon Network. It doesn't age well as you grow up. We rewatched the first few episodes, of which I have like pretty good memories of what mm. happens in them. Yeah. And, like, I still hold it close. I just don't think it's a show you want to rewatch because you'll probably change your mind on it. I, but I agree. the gumballs look so good. The, no, the sorry, Jawbreakers. Yeah. No, I, oh. I, was, I remember always being... I, I, my, I think my parents didn't let me have Jawbreakers at a young age because I think, like most parents, the concern is you either swallow it and choke or you try to bite down on it and break your baby teeth out. Yeah. Um, 
I wasn't allowed to have any. I remember distinctly having a jawbreaker for the first time, like getting in a Halloween or something, and being like, oh, this is not these nearly as terrible. And then he led me to believe these would be like. Exactly. You're misled on the size and also that they're good. They are terrible. Right, they're not. They're like, they're basically lollipops without a stick, right? Like, I'm they're not, not even as good. I'd rather have a lollipop. Um, but no, when, when Ed, Ed and Eddie would eat a jawbreaker and their cheek would swell up to twice the size of their head. It looks. I mean, and the store looks so good, all the different colors. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the fact that they used it as currency, like, that felt so... There's something so simple and wonderful about that. Again, in our memories, I... It's very childlike wonder, in a sense, to have these... I feel like everyone as a kid was trading things. Like, you oh, didn't God, use money, you yeah. traded items with each other. And you were hang out yeah. in your cul-de-sac. I don't know if you lived in a cul-de-sac, but I actually like I did. lived. Well, no, actually, I lived in a horseshoe, which was kind of similar vibes. I lived in a neighborhood full of cul-de-sacs, and it just was very much my childhood to ride our bikes in the cul-de-sac, hang out with all the kids, go cricken, which everyone makes fun of me for because I say cricken. Oh my God, wait, were were you born in the 1940s, Katie? No, in the Midwest we call them cricks, in some oh. of the Midwest. Well, I'm Ohio. East Coast. I'm an East Coast kid, so we, we, we rode our bikes in the horseshoe, but we couldn't leave the horseshoe because everything else was hills and narrow streets built by, like, dirt roads from the Puritans. So <laughs> you, were, you were very much stuck in your, in your horseshoe. But uh, I think that's... That you would compete with other, with other kids in other horseshoes, which was fun. I um, think the beauty of Ed, Ed, and Eddie is it feel... It, it captures that childlike whimsy for children. <coughs> Does not capture it for adults, because we don't go riding on our bikes, ch exchanging, trading things. Like, I think we've lost the kid wonder that made Ed and Eddie feel relatable. I'm going to argue that that, that that is not the reason that it is hard for adults to watch Ed, Ed and Eddie. By adults, I mean the two of us. Um, but we have, a, you know, I consider us to have a higher tolerance for watching kids' shows than the average person. So the fact that there's, there's something, there is, there is a reason why we couldn't get through more than a few episodes. And I don't know if it's the childlike wonder as much as the truly obnoxious art style and sense of humor it is it is, it is the hilarious. first few episodes were super obnoxious because you have that scene with the ketchup burger it is right it is it is loud it is relentless it is gross i i honestly think it's the cartoon equivalent of like you know like those noises that only people under a certain age can hear i think ed ed Nettie is only able to be tolerated by people under a certain age before I'm like, saying it's a dog whistle for children? I, I think it is a literal dog whistle for children. And I think and I think that's why we were smart to stop when we did, because I still have all my fond memories of what Ed Ed Nettie was. And if we'd watched it anymore, I would realize what it actually was and not like it anymore. Like, yeah, and we can still talk about the fun of it. It it has nostalgia, don't want to ever rewatch it again. Right. I mean I think I, I loved that timeless quality of the kids trading things, of, you know, them, you know, always trying to, you know, it almost, it almost in many ways, I think, was kind of a proto-Phineas and Ferb, that it sort of took place in this kind of endless summer. I don't, I don't remember them really being in school. I think we discussed that maybe they, maybe at some point. No, they did. They, there's a schoolhouse. Right. I remember I, the schoolhouse I, I, scenes. For, for the most part, they sort of, kind of like peanuts, they live in a world that's only really populated by other kids, and there's, you know, different cliques and gangs, you know, there's like the Kanker sisters who live on the other side of the tracks, and, you know, they've got their bullies, but it's, it's sort of those friendly bullies that you would see in like, kind of like the Simpsons and Hey Arnold, like, the kind of bullies that like, 
you are kind of afraid of in some episodes, but other episodes you'd be friends with them and you would like do stuff because at the end of the day, like you're all just kind of kids hanging out in the same neighborhood. Like it's a very, it, it felt like a comfortable show. It felt, it, it felt edgy in ways that we couldn't fully understand at the time because I think I'm now realizing why our parents were so annoyed when we'd come in and they'd try to watch cartoons with us and it would be Ed, Ed, Nettie. I don't think they could understand why we were watching it. Now the question I have for you is which of the three main characters did you relate to or were you Johnny? <laughs> I, I think in real life I might have been Johnny, but I think like most kids, I want, or like, like most nerdy kids, I wanted to believe that I was Double D. Like I was going to say, I was going to expect we both said that. We are Double Ds. Um, I don't have the OCD, though. I should. I, 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 live was, in, I was a little. I live, I live in Ed's room when I want to live in Double D's room. I, I, I loved Ed, though. I mean, Ed was, Ed, I, in the rewatch, I couldn't stand Ed, which is part of one of the reasons, uh, uh, one of the reasons I didn't want to continue, because I knew I would just hate Ed more and more, but he was endearing. Like, and he, he was, was. He loved his little so sister, dumb. even though his little sister was such a brat. Like, the worst. I think but, I've determined that a big reason the rewatch is hard is because all the ca- characters are unlikable in Ed so many ways they all shout oh my god every one of them has no indoor voice like double d a little we have friends like that we should be used to that Uh, yeah we should be used to that but oh my god it is it is a it is a relentlessly obnoxious show uh which again i think it's also part of the reason kids loved it like it's an excuse to be annoying like remember that phase where like you just wanted attention and you even if you knew it was negative attention you couldn't help doing it like you still want attention Right, like, you'd, you'd poke people, you'd, you'd, I remember you'd be like, like I, remember, I remember I went through a phase where I would say, like, guess what, all the time, and then someone would say, what? I'd say, nothing, like, <laughs> we're just kidding. Like, I think, I think Ed, Ed, and Eddie is the equivalent of saying, hey, 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 pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, and then when the person turns over and says, oh my god, what? They just do something, like blow a raspberry and run off. Like, that's Ed, Ed, and Eddie in a nutshell. Were, you spo- were we supposed to grow out of the face of poking people? <laughs> I was going to say, Katie, Katie does still do that. I need attention. And someone doesn't text me first ever, so I got to do all the work. I'm bad at texting first. Yeah, I know. So the next thing that I don't remember is Mike, Lou, and Ugg also seems to have a similar phrasing to Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Mike, Lou, and Ugg? Yep. I know nothing about it, so we're going to skip over it. It did not last long. Yell at us in the comments if you were a big Mike, Lou, and Ugg fan. (laughs) Then we have Courage the Cowardly Dog. Oh, Ah. my God. I Ah. call this the epitome of Cartoon Network dark. Absolutely. I think this is their major show that was successful, and they went, we can do dark. And they have done it ever since. I, I just every time I think of Ed and, and I, of course, Courage the Cowardly Dog, I think of that. The so not wrong channel, but I think of of Gorney from Gravity Falls jumping out and saying, "I've been traumatized." Uh, <laughs> I think that was traumatized. I think that was all of us watching Courage the Cowardly Dog. Just that excitement of like, I I am very much scarred right now, and I kind of like that feeling. And I have that with so many Cartoon Network shows we'll be getting to later of going, wow, this is good. Ow, I'm never going to forget these scenes. Katie here just finished Infinity Train the other day. I'm traumatized. I've been traumatized. 
Yeah, I think but I think courage. for me, growing up watching Courage, it was that I would leave it on the channel sometimes, and other times I would turn away and go, I can't do this today. I can't. I would always watch Courage with my hand on the remote. You had to have the remote like, nearby. Because you Change would... to Arthur! Arthur! <laughs> I don't know how it was where you grew up, but for me, Cartoon Network was nestled between uh, Channel th 33 was Nickelodeon and 31 was Disney Channel, and Cartoon Network was 32. So it was really easy to just go up, down, up, down. Uh, I was probably the, close, but I've lived too many places to remember where the channels were. <laughs> that, that's fair. I, I remember that was always really nice, that, like, they were all, like, in that nice little chunk that I could I could easily just, like, be like, ah, go to go Nickelodeon, ah, go down to uh, Disney Channel, just because it was, you know. You, I, I think I very rarely got, was able to sit through a whole episode of Courage. I, it was always it something was dark. terrifying, and you just jumped off. Aliens? So. The intro itself was even scary. There was just so much going on. Brilliantly done. Think I should watch it as an adult to kind of actually know more about it because I think I've locked a lot of it out of my mind as from childhood. It's true. I'm almost kind of scared to rewatch it. Like I think that's like that's the impact it's left. That like it in my memory, it is the scariest thing I could possibly watch. So I'm, I'm sure now that I'm an adult TM, I will be able to process it a little better. I feel like there's still going to be moments where you go, wow, I watched that as a child. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're right. I mean, No, but it goes down in the list of things that have scarred me for life. Oh, absolutely. I... Courage Cowardly Dog, Princess Mononoke, things I watched at a young age that children should not watch. I mean, I think, I think it, it has at least given me a healthy fear of wide open middle of nowhere type spaces um, oh, that's why you hate indiana <laughs> i hate indiana because it's indiana um, but don't lie that courage the cowardly dog could be taking place in indiana oh my god no. it, new headcanon it's taking place in the field of red lights <laughs> for, for those of you who were not in the car with us when we passed by okay it, anyone who drives down 65 90 four through indiana knows that at some point you hit a field of wind turbines and if you go in the middle of the night it's just blinking red lights in the sky for miles in every direction oh, tell I absolutely me believe that's where courage lives no i'm with you on this that's a courage the cowardly dog that's an alien episode of courage the cowardly dog and you can't lie to me i will not i will not you always felt so bad for courage too because he he was trying to be such a good boy and protect uh, Muriel, but every, everything is always against him, and they never appreciate how close to death they've come. I mean, yeah. that's also part of the thing that freaked me out, is that, like, these, like, it was like, like, if you were a child seeing yourself in Courage's position, like, the lesson it was teaching you is that no matter what you do to help your family, they will never understand you, and they will, like, never you will get in trouble for trying to protect them like that i think is a freaky idea for a kid that like you could see something being seriously wrong and no one is coming to help you like that's a freaky it's just, vibe it's so terrifying so next we have sheep in the big city which i don't remember i have a vague recollection I of that take that back vague recollections yeah I, like i have like a like i think i can kind of picture it in my brain but like I, I don't I thought those were like bumpers. I didn't realize that was like a full on show. Maybe I only saw it in bumpers. Maybe maybe, maybe I never actually watched a full episode. <laughs> Next we right, have Time that? Squad, which I also don't remember. 
that's another one that I, I think I watched a few episodes of, didn't really like, and moved on. Um, okay, again, now... in the comments if you're a big Time Squad person. <laughs> now we've moved on to one that I think is a big part of Cartoon Network's adult, not children. <laughs> <laughs> Samurai Jack. Yes! Oh my god. I... I... I was Samurai Jack. <laughs> watch some episodes and I was not a Samurai Jack kid so I'll let you take the lead on this one though you take the lead on almost everyone. Oh well that's because I'm, I'm chatty. Um, you are. So I, I, I don't know if I could say I was a big Samurai Jack fan. Samurai Jack was kind of one of those things that I could never really fully get into but I never turned it off. When it was on TV I I paid attention. It was, it was always very hard to follow. I don't even think today I can really give you a plot more than Samurai Jack fights a really cool-looking monster of some kind, um, and I, I think there was more to it. I think if you did talk to a, a you know bigger Samurai Jack fan, I think there was an ongoing story arc that I clearly still do not retain or didn't bother to figure out. Uh, but it was a good good action series if you were a kid who liked looking at that kind of uh, uh, just, just badass action sequences. Uh, it was, uh, the, that was a, a Gendry Tuck, I can never pronounce his last name, that was, that was his, his thing, right? Like, why can I never pronounce this? Like, I, I can see the spelling in my brain, and I cannot pronounce it. Why am I like this? Katie's on it. Wait, oh, Gen, uh, Gendy Tarkov, Tartakovsky. That, it was that guy. He's a big, uh, to people who don't okay. know, he's a very big name to to animation and especially cartoon network oh yeah i mean he he, he is he was dexter's lab he was samurai jack we'll get to powerpuff it star too, wars right? the clone wars i think he was powerpuff too right he helped in producing powerpuff girls yeah. he is and he also worked on foster's home so he is a very core part to the fact that cartoon network became what cartoon network is oh absolutely and, and the reason I, I bring it up with with samurai jack is because it's a completely different art style than, I mean, pa oh, Powerpuff yeah. and and uh, Dexter's Lab and even kind of later Foster's. Like, you could see those all being similar creative brains. There was never anything that looked like Samurai Jack before and pretty much nothing that looked like it after unless it was like a spinoff of Samurai Jack. Uh, the Clone Wars movie that he made, um, which is separate from the Clone Wars series, I believe. I think there's mm -hmm. some tie-in, but I think those, are, th those have the yeah. same art style as Samurai Jack. But... Samurai Jack feels, you know, it, it feels at home at Cartoon Network, don't get me wrong. It's definitely a Cartoon Network show. But that art style is so, is so drastically different from what, what, it, uh, what the rest of the channel was doing. I'm really impressed they let him do that, because clearly that was a passion project of his. Um, and I think it did get canceled er earlier than the ending, and I think the series that got brought back, and I think the big thing about this, CN time is you see things they've started to bring back and things that caught on even later um samurai yeah, jack i think got wrapped up samurai jack yeah they had, hmm. i think they finished up with a movie i want to say they finished yeah. up with a tv movie i think so but that was one of those where i think it didn't last as long and needed to be brought back and that it was fairly happen. successful in its reboot and, and it definitely has a cult following today. I think I've oh, yeah. met a lot of people who are ride-or-die Samurai Jack. And I think we could say that Samurai Jack might have come up out of the fact of Toonami and that some of the series that uh, Cartoon Network acquired is Cartoon Network did acquire some of an like anime series. Mm -hmm, yeah. So it was one of the more original ones for seeing that Japanese-style animation. 
Right. I mean, it was it was you know it was interesting in that like a lot of shows later adopted that anime style without really being anime. Like I'm thinking of like Teen Titans especially. Like there's nothing mm. really anime about the show itself except for the occasional stylistic thing. Samurai Jack, you know, doesn't look like a traditional anime, but it it feels like a traditional anime. It has aspects of that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. It is, it is absolutely its own art style. Like I said, really nothing before or after looks like Samurai Jack. But there was, it, was def- it definitely treated people who watched it seriously. When I turned on Samurai Jack, I had the idea that this was, this was not just a cartoon. Like I was watching something that I, I was welcome to come along for the ride, but this wasn't really for me. I being a you know, what, six-year-old child at the time, it was, it, was, it was for an older audience that was certainly welcoming to me. Uh, but I, I sort of, even at a young age, could understand there was a gravitas involved with Samurai Jack that I was, I was not probably fully able to appreciate yeah. at the time. Samurai Jack might have come a little too early for that, that thing. Because Cartoon Network, as we'll get into later things, has multiple things like that where it's like oh, yeah. gravitas to the series. There's a lot going on. It's not just in a cartoon for cartoon's sake. I'm almost surprised are. they haven't rebooted it for HBO Max, and maybe they have plans to, but that maybe. strikes me as such an HBO Max type thing, because it has that cult following, this built-in fan base of people now our age, a little bit older, um, and of course some people younger who have picked it up along the way, and they can now do whatever they want. They can make the show as adult, as dark as, as they want to be, <laughs> looking at you, Infinity Train, getting progressively darker every season like you don't give a damn anymore. <laughs> Bring back Ashley Johnson. So the next thing that premiered was Grim and Evil. I don't remember Grim and Evil. Was that was that like the prototype for Billy and Mandy, or am I thinking Could of something have been. else? Because I think oh, there's... absolutely. Looking at yeah, yeah, I think there was okay. there was a pilot that was very similar to what would eventually become Billy and Mandy that just got changed. Yes. So this got this... three seasons. It has a total of seventy-five segments. Wait, what? This thing lasted that Here's long. Here's the thing. The show's episodes were all shorts that were then spun off into two shows. You have Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy was one of the shows that was in it. And Evil Kung Carne, which I didn't get into the solo show. Oh, yeah. Evil Kung Carne was also one of those things that I would always see, like, listed in the the Cartoon Network lineup. And I don't believe I ever actually watched. I've heard good things, but I don't think I ever actually watched it. I loved Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, though. Yes, let's talk about Billy and Mandy. That was another one of the classic Cartoon Network. Ooh, this is dark. I like it. See, it was was dark, but it was so much more palatable for someone. Like, I could could always sit through a whole episode of Billy and Mandy, unlike Courage. Yeah. Um, I think because you had Billy and Mandy there who were... You know, they were they were our point of view characters, and they were never concerned by the situation. They always no. they they felt safe. They they probably shouldn't have felt safe, but they felt safe, which meant that we as the viewers could feel safe and could feel like sort of separated observers. Unlike Courage, where you know he was terrified, so we were terrified. Um, <laughs> but it was and. It was, it was so good to see to see Grib get hurt every time. Like you, you felt so bad for him. Like I think that's that's the real that's the real highlight of the show is how it makes you feel so bad for the Grim Reaper. I mean, think think about all the different incarnations of like the Grim Reaper or death in various media's. This is the one that I think even more so than when he was in that one episode of Animaniacs, where like you feel for him. There is never <laughs> a point where you are angry at the Grim Reaper or you think that you know you are scared of him you just 
you want to give him a hug, and that's something that he really you know got stuck. No one else does. <laughs> really got stuck with two terrible people, <laughs> one <laughs> imbecile and one kid who kind of is welcoming death at every turn. I love Mandy. Can we just appreciate Mandy. that Mandy is like the like original Gen Zer? Oh yeah. I mean, like welcoming death at every humor, turn. How much of our humor comes from? basically being mandy like as, uh, as yeah. adults now like just that and by our i just mean gen z as a whole just being like yeah whatever might as well happen like that's life whatever like i, I welcome you death like that is is mandy's whole vibe is so <laughs> wonderfully you know it's, yeah it's great i i love mandy <laughs> yeah i had a mandy t-shirt you know i actually in that, in that sense like i think Mandy is sort of the one escalation up from Buttercup because like Buttercup was like bitter and grumpy but at the end of the day would always like do the right thing and like clearly had a soft spot. Mandy had no soft spot. Nope. Like Mandy is right like thing. ice down to the core and it's great. We love you Mandy. Never change. <laughs> so that's out of the series we have left that's probably the there's one other major successful series I'll quickly go through the others. What happened to Robot Jones? What the hell? Lasted a year. Yep, that would make sense. <laughs> Megas, XLR. I don't know that, that one. sounds like the sort of thing I would have avoided. And Evil Con Carne, which was the spinoff, also from Grim and Evil. Did you and ever watch any of that? I think I watched an episode here or there, but it wasn't as good as Grim, uh, Grim Adventures, which I enjoyed a lot yeah. more. Okay, I, I, so that's sort of the sense I always got from Evil Con Carne, is that it's like a light version of... Not light necessarily in content, but like just not as effective as Billy and Mandy. Yeah. I think, yeah, you just see these two shows that premiered at the same time. One was clearly a little bit more successful. Yeah. Okay, so we have one show left in one show. <laughs> Which would you like first, the show or the show? Let's do the show and then we can finish up on what so I So that is Star Wars The Clone War, or Star Wars Clone Wars, which is... It had 25 segments that aired separately, and I think most of us have seen it in the full unsegmented version, really. I didn't even realize it was in, like, short segments to begin with. I've only yes. seen it as, like, a full series. It was two volumes with... Aired, oh, maybe? In 25 chapters from 2003 to 2005. Huh. Yet, it is only 18 minutes. <laughs> oh. Huh. So this is the short, short one. Maybe I haven't even seen these. I feel like I have. That's possible. I mean, 2003, I would have been like five years old, so. I feel like this is something I watched on car trips. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds like a car trip show. I but also the other that. one. Now, which one's the, which one's the movie? <laughs> The movie, I think, was like 2004, I want to say. And that's the animated movie, right? Yeah, that's... The, Why are there so many... I mean, we'll talk about this more at a later date. Why are there so many things titled Clone Wars? How do I keep it straight? We, we have a friend that we should bring on to just give us the history of the Clone Wars because he knows more about this than we do. Because um, there's the long series. There's this short series. There's the movie. There's the movie. Right, there were like there were like three Clone Wars movies, I think. Um, like movie, like Star Wars movies that had the phrase Clone Wars in them. Um, but as yeah, as a kid, I was Attack of the Clones. 
Yeah, right. The the, the movie. Um, as, as a kid, I wasn't a huge Star Wars fan. I'd seen all the movies. I liked the movies. Um, and I like. I think I had like one like Halloween where I was Princess Leia, like most kids. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't super hype on Star Wars. I wasn't like building a Lego Death Star into Star Wars. Um, so I I never had much attachment to Clone Wars. Katie, you look stressed. I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> Okay, there are two Clone Wars movies and I've seen both of them. The, the but now I can't keep them straight. Well, because one of them would have been the 2D animation, one of them would be CG animation, right? Yeah, there's the 2D animation one, which is the Gendy Tar Tartakovsky one. And then there's the 3D CGI one. You see why I'm confused, audience? <laughs> Can we all agree the word Clone Wars can never be used again. <laughs> oh, we need oh, more delineation. Um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars: The Bad Batch coming to Disney Plus next year. Yeah, but that has Sorry. Bad Batch, so I can separate it. No That's longer true. can things just be the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're done. We're I'm I'm hoping we're done with that. Um, but they reboot everything, so I wouldn't be surprised. You know, everything gets rebooted. But also, can we? Uh, this isn't important, but Anakin's kind of attractive in the 2000 Clone War series. As is Obi-Wan. Everyone's attractive in this one. Did you say two male characters are attractive? Yes, audience, but we'll talk about this later. Audience, this is a big moment. This, I can say someone is objectively just, attractive. Doesn't mean I'm attracted to them. Just witnessed a, a, a beautiful moment. I don't think I've ever heard Katie say that male characters find male characters attractive. So the last show we have is one we actually started rewatching before we were unfortunately separated because someone decided to get a job across the country. Katie. <laughs> no. I know, I feel bad. Um, and then a pandemic hit. But we started watching Codename Kids Next Door, which is a much more enjoyable show to rewatch. Oh yeah, we gotta get back to that. Why, wait, why did we start rewatching Fosters before finishing Kids Next Door? I think because you were the one who was uh, getting us the codename Kids Next Door things and you have oh. a much harder time streaming. Oh, you're right. You're right. I was... Whereas I, was... I have a Hulu account and can get us Fosters. I, w I was going to get Kids Next Door through somewhat nefarious means. Shh. And I don't do that. Katie doesn't do that. Um, we'll have a whole episode on pirating. We have a different friend we can bring in for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, see, I'm willing to do it with something like Kids Next Door because I don't know if anyone is currently making any money off of it, and it can't be found basically anywhere else. So I feel a little bit okay with it. Uh, but It's probably on Hulu, and we've been wrong be this whole Hulu. time. It might be on Hulu now. Um, but... It's on Boomerang for free. Wait, it's for free? Yeah, Boomerang for free? I thought you have to subscribe. Maybe we have to you can keep going. I'll keep determine going. this. Also, I have HBO Max now, so maybe. That, that, that's not important. That's not even a little bit important in this conversation because we're talking about the show, Kids Next Door, and not the means at which you can get it. Uh, Kids Next Door, I think, comes from that, you know, that period in the... It's almost a little late. I think that the late 90s, early 2000s were, like, very much kid power. Like, screw adults. Kids are awesome. Like, don't trust anyone over 10 years old. Like, that kind of vibe. Um, which I, th I think was very big as kids were rebelling against their parents and you know I think there was sort of a teenage rebellion in like the 1950s I think like the 90s was like the child rebellion where we just started developing more of an autonomy and you know what was great about Kids Next Door was like even like teenagers were the villains like it wasn't it wasn't just like 
fear of becoming stiff office worker adults. It was like literally losing your childhood wonder was like akin to, you know, be becoming assimilated into the Borg. I think that's the best way to describe it. Like there was like this idea that like only only children were like children were the only thing keeping this world together and the, the the biggest fear was that this like all like existential entity of adulthood was going to come get you um in a lot of ways that kind of made it feel like a modern peter pan story uh but with a lot more violence and cool two by four gadgets which was such a I cool feel like, style yeah i feel like one of the best parts was not the characters not the animation just the idea of this treehouse full of kid gadgets so rad just like to, to, to fantasize about you and your friends like having like you know i think every kid had like a space that they went to whether it was you know a tree house or like a clubhouse or even just like your your room with like a, a pillow fort type thing set up but like just the idea of having a like a, a space that was just for you and your friends that you could decorate as you please like i loved that each of the kids and the kids next door kind of had like their own thing jutting out of the tree house that represented their personalities and they all had such fun personalities i mean they were like each one of these kids had their own I want to say stereotype, but like that—that's almost too—that's that, too—that's too bland to describe what these kids were. That they were just so fun to be around. Like you wanted to be friends with these kids. They were—they were so cool, but they weren't intimidating. You get the sense that like they would welcome you in, but you still—they were still aspirational. You still wanted to be like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got. I think most people can find a character they can they can relate to, which is important, and I think a good reason to have the number of kids they have. Because exactly. they had diversity in how they sounded, how they looked, how they acted. Um, I was such a number two. I'm just, I'm just gonna say it. I was number two as a kid. Like, just that kind of fun, goofy, but like, took themselves very seriously. Like, I, I, that, that was absolutely me. Who, who, who do you think you were as a child? Or who do you identify um. with? It's a good question. What what would you say for me? I I think knowing you as you are now and thinking of what you would have been as a kid, I think you would have been a number five. I think you have that kind of cool, confident, you know, you 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 weren't going to take crap from nobody kind of vibe, but you were also still, you know, a little bit of a rebel. Um, I'll take that. And like number one, who I, I I always I always liked seeing number one interact with number five because I think in a lot of ways they were both they were this, I I think they were kind of like I, I keep thinking of them in terms of, of Brooklyn Nine Nine characters for some reason because I think honestly I think those shows have a lot in common I think you know in the sense of just like a wacky gang of people who were like going out saving the day and with their own weird personality traits I think if number one was Captain Holt then I think number five is Rosa. Uh, which, if you haven't seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she's the one in the meme holding the puppy and saying, I've only known blank for a day, but I wish anyone took him away, I would kill him, everyone in this room and then myself. Which I think is such number five energy. Until it comes to scheduling, and then I become number one, where I want to be in control of everything. You, are, you, you have no, you, as, as I'm saying, like, I think as a kid you were number five, but if I were to give you anyone today, I think you'd probably turn into number one. I think I'm probably a little bit of a number one, too, now. I don't know if I'm... I don't know, I think I've lost some of my childhood whimsy that would have made me number two back in the day. Yeah, I think it, it, so this is really the show I think we see the bridge to the next era. It's not as dark, still has some dark qualities. And it, it, 
the enemies were a little creepy at points. I, and yeah. I think there were anthropomorphic sandwiches at one point. There, there was, there was the one, there was the one woman, the, the villain who was like a grandmother type who had like living food and she was forcing children to finish their meal, which as a Jewish kid, oh my God, that is the most accurate thing because I, I love my grandmother. I love my mother, but older Jewish women have this thing where they want to feed you relatively gross looking food because Jewish food has no flavor except like starch. Um, and you have to finish it, but once you finish it, you get told you're fat. So, <laughs> you know, it's just a catch-22. You can't, you can't win. If you, don't, if you don't finish it, you're being disrespectful. If you do finish it, you're fat. It's just, it's awful. Uh, but I, There's really, also... I, I, I loved the fact that, the, that that Kids Next Door could take relatively mundane yeah, aspects of being a kid and adults you would encounter and turn them into James Bond villains. Um, and I know I interrupted you, but I just, I have to mention the one episode where there's the, like, giant mom and dad robots who are killing, or, like, killing or, like, incapacitating all of the members of Kids Next Door so that their one son, who was number, like, 275 or something, could be number one. And I think that was just, that's such, that's so telling of the time. I think it shows to how, how aware the creators were of what it was like to be a kid in that specific time period. Because those were, that was the start of the helicopter parents, or like the bulldozer parents, whatever they're calling them. Because um, before that, like parents didn't give a damn. Like if you, if you messed up in school, that was your fault. Like you were getting punished. This was the first, this was I think the beginning of parents who were going to go fight the school for you or fight your bullies for you because they wanted you to succeed. I think it's just a great example of, of how well this show knew what its audience was going through and the type of villains that the kids would see. Anyway, sorry, Katie. This also had a side. Well, one, the dentist, the evil dentist, like the delightful children from down the lane. Just little things that are creepy in some ways, but even more terrifying as a kid. I would also like to mention the side characters of Kenny and the Chimp. Kenny and the Chimp. Wait, was it, weren't Kenny and the Chimp in uh, Dexter's lab? No, that's that's the monkey uh, that Dexter makes the, the Asian honeydew. That's a superhero monkey. Kenny and the oh. Chimp is just kind of more 2D animated, running around, Kenny's chasing the chimp. I remember there's one with a lot of, like, they get in, they break into, like, the CDC, basically. Oh. That one real well. For some reason, I don't remember that being as late as Kids Next Door. I, in my, my brain, I, I'm picturing that being connected to a much older show, but... It's animated differently as part of it. It, it does not have the same it, animated style. It looks older. Um... But that's 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 cool. That's pretty fun. I don't know. I I I was such a big fan of Kids Next Door. I think you know it was again one of those early Cartoon Network action shows that was really you know paving the way for what would what would become cartoon action later on. And just so entertaining, so much fun. We gotta we gotta go back to the rewatch. And it will we should. And that one really brings us into the next era from 2004 to 2010. God, that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I know 2010, the fact that 2010 is now 10 years ago feels wrong because it was just 2010. I blinked. What what happened? We're old uh, and somehow still watching cartoons. Somehow. Somehow we're still watching <laughs> cartoons. Uh, I'll take it. You know what? It's fun. <laughs> we're having fun. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Era 2. I think that there's, um, there's going to be a lot, a lot to unpack there because I think that in many ways was another transitional era uh, go, going from sort of these more uh, uh i don't want to say gritty but 
le less cleaned up versions of cartoons, things that were still experimenting a little bit and moving into a lot more slickly produced things. Uh, and it was around the time that I stopped watching. So I think that there's going to be some things that I've never heard of or that really kid that I might need to give a rewatch. I think this, it has some, some classics in it. So we'll have a fun time talking about it. I think it, it will. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a fun time. Um, but I think this episode has gone on long enough. Poor Katie's gonna have their work cut out for them editing this whole thing together. Um, an expert. I'm already for late with the last episode. Okay, we love. I you. should edit. It's it's the we're uh, we're filming this during the holiday week. It's still it's the last week of 2020. God God give it a, a send it right down to hell <laughs> this whole year. Um, Don't say that. So. We're gonna wake up and it's gonna be January 1st, 2020, all over again. <laughs> Don't you even joke. Don't you even <laughs> Just end the, end the episode now. Get us out of here. Let's get us out of here. Uh, once again, I'm Scarlett. I'm Katie. We're Animates, and it's time for us to <laughs> pop back into the cartoon time machine for the day, and we will see you in our next episode on Era 2 of Cartoon Network. Until then, we'll see you around. I've been traumatized. <laughs>